Living with Diabetes, a podcast from Diabetes Victoria with Jack Fitzpatrick. Hello and welcome to Living Well with Diabetes, the official podcast of Diabetes Victoria. This is a great forum for those of us impacted by diabetes, whether it be directly or indirectly, to discuss ideas, share stories and build our diabetes community. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, ex-Melbourne and Hawthorne AFL player and current Diabetes Victoria ambassador. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the Kulin Nation, where we are speaking from today, as well as all the lands across Australia. I pay my respects to all elders past and present and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening in. To help us unpack mental health and diabetes, today we're joined by Dr. Sheikha Gray, a research fellow at the Australian Centre of Behavioural Research in Diabetes. Sheikha completed her Master's in PhD in Counselling Psychology at Monash University in 2018 and is a registrist psychologist working in private practice. Did I get that right, Sheikha? Yeah, a registered psychologist. Yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah. Nice to meet you. How are you first? How are you dealing with COVID? Not too bad, thank you. Um, looking forward to uh, the next step and looking forward to... Uh, it all concluding at some point, whenever that will be. Um, yeah. But the end seems in sight now. So, uh, yeah, I- I'm doing all right, thanks. And you? Fingers fingers crossed uh, the light is at the end of the tunnel. Uh, yeah. It's been a, a long six months, I think it's fair to say, and it's probably fitting that yeah. we're talking about COVID and, and I suppose the impact that uh, it is having on our mental health because that's what we're going to be chatting about today. Yeah, it's been a bit of a marathon, really, um, and, and I suspect that the impact of it will be uh, long-lasting for a lot of people. No doubt about that. I think it's um, mm. certainly not going to be over in, in a couple of months when we hopefully get back to somewhat of a normal living. I think it's going to go on a lot longer than that. Firstly, before we do talk about mental health and, and diabetes, tell us a little bit about your career, please, Sheikha, and how you came to uh, working and researching in the diabetes space at the Australian Centre for Research in Diabetes, which, of course, is uh, the ACBRD. Yeah. um, So I started at the ACBRD just over a year ago, um, having finished my PhD uh, in 2018, towards the end of 2018. So I've been with the ACBRD for just over a year. Um, My research background and... Uh, interests have always been in mental health and people's lived experiences. So one of the first things that initially attracted me to ACBRD was the fact that the centre uh, was so hugely driven uh, in its research activities by what people with diabetes want and need. Um, the ACBRD really prioritises uh, what people have identified as being relevant and important to them. and. I'm also a registered psychologist. I I see clients in private practice in Melbourne, and it's been really valuable working on both sides, working research and in practice, and seeing the mutual benefits of of working both areas. Um, uh, And my work is really informed and enhanced by by the other. it's also a, a real privilege to work with ACBRD because uh, I, I personally have close family members with diabetes. My husband has type 1 diabetes and I have a South Asian background. 
and among South Asians, type 2 diabetes is really prevalent. Um, as it is in my close family, so it's been really meaningful for me working for a centre that really gets how challenging it is living with and managing diabetes and cares so much about what people with diabetes uh, need and want. Um, and, and health is seen in this um, more of a holistic way. Yeah, so obviously you're, you've had a, a long-term interest in, in diabetes and with those, uh, with you know, those people close to you dealing with diabetes. Then. Yeah, I've um, been able to bring a lot of my personal experience into my work, but I've actually gained a lot of understanding through working at ACBRD and uh, hearing from the perspective of participants who take part in research at ACBRD and been able to apply it in my own personal life and understanding of how my family, how my husband um, uh, copes with diabetes and uh, really how much work and how much of a challenge it is um, living with this condition. Absolutely, and as we say, you know, mm. people affected by diabetes, uh, whether it be directly or indirectly, that includes yeah. people like yourself, um, partners, carers, family members, yeah. of course. It's, it's not something that just those of us who live with it are, are going through. Specifically, um, what exactly does the ACBRD do for people living with diabetes, Shika? Yeah, so uh, the ACBRD was established in 2010 as a partnership between WS Victoria and Deakin University. In fact, we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary uh, in August uh, in the most unique pandemic unseen way um, through Zoom webinars and Zoom parties. Um, It was different, but certainly memorable, and it was really great to celebrate all of the activities that uh, ACBRD has done in the past 10 years, uh, just the dedication to researching people's psychological, researching the psychological aspects of living with diabetes and the huge contributions that the research has made towards changing the way many people think and talk about diabetes. And the way that ACBRD has achieved that isn't just through the um, rigorous research, the world-class research and international collaborations, but it's also through community publications, to be involved in webinars and community presentations uh, and programs and ensuring that the research is translated into practice through uh, developing resources. Yeah, um, yeah obviously, yeah. obviously you've talked about the webinars and the Zoom for the, the 10-year anniversary and obviously... We are recording this uh, this podcast virtually as well because they are just the times we're living in. Yeah, exactly. It's been a steep learning curve, but uh, I think it's a testament to how close the team is and the work ethic uh, really reflects the research ethic as well in that everyone in the team is well-supported and well-connected. Um, and the transition has been um, challenging, but it's been also really well supported. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, a link between diabetes and depression or other mental illnesses, um, What what is the link, if there is one, and, and what sort of research has been done to show and understand um, the, the impact of mental health on those people living with and affected by diabetes? So, diabetes doesn't just affect people physically. It also affects people's 
emotional health and their quality of life. It can be a really challenging condition to live with. It's something that requires constant managing, ongoing attention, a lot of motivation, um, a lot of mental and physical energy, and so a lot of resilience and stamina, a lot of internal resources and also external support. So it's understandable and really common for people with diabetes from time to time to feel either fed up or burnt out or um, feel, feel down or anxious about living with diabetes. And what's really common is something that we call diabetes distress. Uh, diabetes mm-hmm. distress is when things start to feel too much, when people start to feel frustrated about the demands of managing diabetes or feel worried or, or lose their motivation. Um, they might start avoiding appointments, avoiding checking their blood glucose levels, um, feeling isolated and unsupported. Um, about one in four people with diabetes experience diabetes distress, so it is quite common. Uh, we also know from research that sometimes uh, the emotional experience of living with diabetes can become persistent and serious and lead to uh, emotional problems like depression and anxiety, both of which are more common amongst people with diabetes than they are with pe- uh, in people without diabetes. Um, and what's really troubling is that can, it can end up being a bit of a vicious cycle. So people with diabetes distress or depression or anxiety can find, find it harder to manage their diabetes. And the more yeah. people struggle with keeping up with their diabetes management, the more this then impacts their emotional well-being. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, so it's not just about uh, glucose numbers and uh, HbA1c. There's a whole emotional side to living with diabetes. And uh, it, it makes it all the more important to have appropriate and timely support available to people with diabetes, um, especially through healthcare professionals who are in a really good position to promote emotional health. Uh, when discussing um, uh, diabetes management with with people, and I can speak to that firsthand, and mm. I'm sure you obviously you know you see it every day as well with your husband. Yeah. But you talk about um, you know if you're having a bad day or, or whatever else, and you go, "Geez, it's geez, um, I'm not having a good day with my levels. It's looking too hard to manage. Yeah. It almost becomes too hard." And you get upset about it, as you said, and it just becomes this vicious cycle. It becomes too hard and you get really upset about it. And then if you get upset about it, it becomes even harder and it, it just can really snowball itself. Um, yeah. Are there any different um, psychological challenges for people living with type 1 or type 2 diabetes? Do they differentiate at all or are they reasonably similar? Um, uh, yes and no. Um, I mean, similar in the sense that both people with type 1 and type 2 diabetes face significant challenges in incorporating diabetes management into their day-to-day routine and their lifestyle. Um, uh, you know, life is hectic enough as it is. There's enough chores and commitments in daily life. Um, but then to accommodate uh, diabetes management into that can be uh, uh, quite challenging, it can be a hassle, it can be really frustrating. Um, the, the differences between the challenges that people with type 1 and type 2 diabetes may experience would be born out of the different ways perhaps in which 
the two conditions are managed. Um, mm-hmm. So for people with type 1, um, the way it's managed is through insulin therapy right from the beginning. Um, many people with type 1 diabetes are young when they're first diagnosed. Not everyone, but many are. Um, and that presents its own unique challenges of having to adjust at a really early age to stick strict regimens of insulin and glucose checks. Um, and yeah, and, and the acute and the acute consequences of not um, uh, doing that, following through with that strict regimen can be quite severe. Um, so, so the relentlessness of keeping vigilant of correcting blood glucose levels to prevent hypos can be really tricky. Um, for people with type 2 diabetes, Usually, not always diagnosed at a later stage in life. Um, in the first line of treatment is all medication. Um, people with diabetes face the same challenges of having to adjust to self-care activities and the changes that that brings to their lifestyle. Uh, later on, some people with type two diabetes may need to have their treatment intensified. Um, so that can present a, a, a new challenge. Um, well, uh, you know, for example, uh, needing to start insulin, which is a hugely effective treatment for people with type two diabetes, uh, can can be a bit of an emotional hurdle. So that can yeah. be a psychological challenge. Um, but but the reality is that it's it's you know both people with type one and type two are challenged with having to sustain their motivation constantly um, to take part in complicated self care and just also dealing with the disruption it causes to, um, you know, the rhythm and flow of everyday life. Absolutely. Now, can we talk a little bit about stigma, please, if that's okay? What exactly stigma is and, and how it impacts um, or affects people uh, in the diabetes community? Yeah, um, stigma impacts both people with type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Um, and, and it refers to the negative judgment that people get from society. Uh, stigma is about setting a person or a group of people apart for reasons that they have no control over, um, and, and this includes the diagnosis of diabetes. Um, it, it's quite a complex phenomenon, I would say, uh, and it's often ingrained in the way people talk about diabetes. It's not always obvious when stigma comes up. Uh, when, when, you know, the assumptions and judgments um, that can lead to negative stigma, uh, it comes up in in uh, everyday conversation and healthcare appointments and all all different all sorts of different contexts. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and and stigma um, can can sort of occur. Um, in the form of assumptions, stereotypes, it can be about what it means for a person to have diabetes, why a person might have diabetes, or how well they're managing their diabetes. And, and it can have quite devastating consequences for people. It can make them feel rejected or blamed. Um, and as if people with diabetes don't have enough um, uh, self-blame and self-criticism uh, that they have to manage on their own anyway. Um, yeah. it, it can also lead to people being seen first as their diagnosis uh, and second as a person 
uh, with you know a whole range of qualities and characteristics that aren't assigned by their diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so it can take the form. It can take many different forms and um, uh, occur in really subtle ways, even through well-meaning health professionals and family and friends and the way they talk about diabetes. And, and that's, I think that's a really, that's a key point there yeah. that you raised, how it can come from just about anyone, from family, friends, to media, yeah. to health professionals. I mean, I personally, you know, when I was diagnosed with diabetes, um, was very much of the uh, understanding or, or the stereotype, I guess, or stigma that it only impacts, you know, people who might be overweight or they don't look after yeah. themselves well or they don't eat well, um, those kinds of things. Um, so when I got diagnosed at, at near the age of 20, just before I turned 21, it was yeah. a complete shock because those stigmas slash stereotypes were, were very recent for myself. And, and I certainly know that that's not the case now. I've obviously learned a lot about it. But um, I find a lot of stigma and, and stereotype, I guess, uh, comes from people through plain ignorance and, and not necessarily nastiness. They just, they sometimes speak about things or, or say things that they don't truly understand and they're not meaning to say the wrong thing or be nasty or stereotype or, or have stigma. It's just unfortunately their understanding, which isn't quite correct. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what makes it so challenging sometimes for people to um, challenge when they hear it because it, it often does come from well-meaning people or people who are just ignorant about about it. Um but it can still be pretty shattering for people to hear that. Um, and it can really get in the way of people getting support, um, you know, or, or people avoiding appointments because uh, the, the stigma and the judgments could be coming from their health professional um, or, or even just talking about how they're feeling. Um, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done in that space. There's, there's a lot that ACBID has done um, and, and Professor Jane Spate has been supporting Diabetes Australia in revising their language position statement um, uh, in, in, in this area um, uh, in, in recognition of the fact that language does influence the way we think uh, about diabetes. So it's really important that we get it right and work needs to definitely continue. I was going to ask you a little bit about mm-hmm. that, Chica, but I, I might as well um, I might as well do it now rather than a little bit later. So you talk about yeah. the importance of language and, and language matters. What exactly do you mean by that? And, and can you give uh, an example or two if that's okay? Yeah. Um, so, langu- so the uh, importance of language in diabetes really is uh, something that's born out of the research in stigma. Um, in, in diabetes and we know that uh, certain ways of framing the experience of diabetes, the diagnosis of diabetes, the experience of managing diabetes can affect how people feel about um, the fact that they have diabetes, their sense of self-worth, their self-identity. Um, uh, for example, um, uh, for a long time, um, uh, in in both healthcare appointments and in research, um, it, uh, 
people would talk about um, uh, people with diabetes being compliant or being or adhering to um, uh, medications or adhering to uh, com- being compliant with treatment plans. And, mm-hmm. and that really misses the point of what it's like to live with diabetes, the challenge of uh, managing diabetes on a on a daily basis, it being for many people like a bit of a full time job, um, mm-hmm. and and to and to place um, and to place the healthcare professional as an expert and the person with diabetes as needing to be compliant with um, the the treatment recommendations is really not the way, it really doesn't reflect the actual experience of living with and managing diabetes and places extra blame and responsibility um, on people with diabetes when it's just such a difficult condition to manage and people doesn't recognize that people are doing their best. Yeah, and I want to, sorry to, um, to half yeah. cut you off, I actually want to quickly ask you about that as well. Um, Mm-hmm. And you probably are in a, a as good a situation to talk about this than anyone else. Obviously, you're um, you've done your PhD and you're very well trained in um, you know your clinical psychologist things like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you said your your family members, your husband, are living with diabetes mm-hmm. now. Um, obviously, you're um, trained around the mental health side of things more than the diabetes itself. But one of my best friends is actually a doctor. Um, and the way he talks to me about managing diabetes, etc., it's all well and good in theory, and it's very good by the textbook. But I have to keep reminding him that his textbook and living with it are two different things. I can't, my life isn't a textbook, and I can't do it exactly perfectly like he would suggest. So for yourself, seeing things how the ideal world would be on your models or your training or your research and things like that, but then as opposed to how they actually are in reality and seeing, you know, trying to live a life, um, it can be quite difficult to try and combine the two. Yeah, and and there are health professionals who get it and who do invite people to talk about their diabetes from their own lived experience, from the perspective of their own experience um, mm-hmm. and integrate uh, the support that they give uh, integrate psychological aspects into the support that they provide to people with diabetes. But we also know that it is really challenging for health professionals in their limited time that they have available in a consultation, given their training, given the, uh, the, the narrative, the wider social narrative about, you know, the role that health professionals play in, in healthcare. So, uh, at, my own research and the research at more broadly at ACBRD has been really focused on helping health professionals overcome some of the barriers in understanding that diabetes has a sort of a whole person impact on on people. So, yeah, uh, so, so my work specifically has, has looked at helping health professionals identify their barriers and come up with strategies to overcome them um, to find enablers, systemic enablers, what can clinics do, what can healthcare centers do to assist health professionals in making sure that they ask people 
what's it like for you to live with diabetes? What's it like to try and integrate diabetes management into your day-to-day routine so, and provide yeah. that sort of integrated support? And, and really trying to personalize it because obviously my yeah. personal experience of living with diabetes is completely different to someone else yeah. out there who will be living with it. And, and we are individuals. Yeah. We're not, uh, we're not robots. In, in terms of mental health, we spoke at the top of, of this podcast about um, the impact of, of COVID on mental health and how people are dealing with it. Um, has or how has COVID impacted um, people living with diabetes any differently to those who uh, aren't impacted by diabetes? Yeah, um, well, there's there's all the impacts of COVID on everyone. So it, it's just been um, uh, a, an enormous challenge getting used to this new way of living. Um, but on top of that, there's been some unique challenges that people with diabetes have had to face. That, you know, initially when 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 all of this started, um, and when the details of COVID-19 started to be revealed, the message uh, around what people with pre-existing chronic health conditions needed to do wasn't very good. It, it was also really confusing. Um, it, it became apparent pretty early on that people with diabetes were in the so-called at-risk group, um, mm-hmm. but what that meant wasn't really clear. Um, there wasn't uh, uh, the best information available. There was a lot of misinformation. Um, and, and over time, it did become apparent. It did become more clear that although people with diabetes are not at higher risk of getting COVID, um, they they may be at higher risk of having a severe form of severe illness if they were to get it. Um, so it's really important for them to be safe uh, and, and do, do what they can to remain safe. So that, that sort of all fueled a lot of uncertainty and fear. You know, for many people, not just people with diabetes, they were worried about panic buying and running out of, um, you know, um, medications or supplies. Um, but the meaning of that was obviously exacerbated for people with diabetes. They were also worried about leaving home, socializing with other people, a lot of the uncertainty yeah. about what activities they can do, what they can't do. Uh, and it, a lot of questions as well about healthcare appointments, whether to attend doctor's appointments, whether to do computation screening. And yep. even even when telehealth became um, available, um, uh, I know a lot of people weren't very sure about whether they should be taking it up, didn't want to be a burden on the health professional. You know, there were messages about the health system becoming inundated and overwhelmed. Um, so, so yeah, I, I kind of look at that period and even now as, as just being mired in confusion. Um, and, and as a consequence, um, you know, people with diabetes have, haven't been seeing their health professionals, their GPs at the same rate as this time last year. Um, mm-hmm. we, we know that diabetes care plans have reduced, diabetes screening has reduced. Um, people are also saying that they're feeling unsupported and feeling isolated, feeling like they're off track with their health. But I have to say, on the flip side, it's not been all negative for a lot of people with diabetes. There's been people for whom this has brought on a more stable lifestyle. <laughs> um, there's been less stress professionally, less demand 
from, you know, social life. Um, so mm-hmm. I found that it's been easier to manage the diabetes and there's more time available uh, and, and that's been a, a motivator. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so it's been mixed. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly on that, um, Sheikha, you know, unfortunately, you spoke about those lower doctor or, or healthcare um, appointments and, and um, rates of people living with diabetes. But unfortunately, diabetes doesn't take a break during COVID. So it's still very important to, to keep your healthcare up during this time. Uh, I just want to ask uh, a little bit about the Head Up campaign, if I can, um, which was mm-hmm. a campaign that was ran by Diabetes Australia during July and, and National Diabetes Week. What exactly was that and what was the involvement of the ACBRD? Yeah, the focus of the National Diabetes Week, as you mentioned, in 2020 was on mental health issues faced by people with diabetes. Um, It's a really important message um, that, uh, you know, emotional support is available, that people with diabetes and their families don't have to face the illness and its consequences alone. And it, it was really great to hear Diabetes Australia um, include people with diabetes in the conversation to help normalise and validate the need for support. Um, uh, at ACBRD, we were involved in quite a number of activities uh, as, as part of the week. Um, I took part in... So one of the things that Diabetes Australia uh, offered was... Uh, a free twenty-five, uh, sorry, free forty-five-minute consultation with a psychologist. Um, that was me. Um, uh, just a one-off conversation, and um, that that turned out to be a really positive initiative. I ended up speaking to a number of people who would who wouldn't otherwise have reached out to a psychologist. This was something that they saw advertised and. Uh, uh, tried as a one-off basis and many of them were then open to the idea of seeking further support. Um, there were some people who just uh, benefited from a one-off conversation um, but for others this, this was the, uh, the opportunity to test out what it would be like to speak to a psychologist. And um, on that mm-hmm. note, sorry, just just while you're yeah. talking about that, how exactly can psychologists support people with diabetes? I mean, you know, support anyone really, yeah. but obviously, um, yes, particularly those affected by diabetes. Yeah, it's not always clear or, or made clear how psychologists can be involved in diabetes care. Um, but I think psychologists have uh, the potential to play a huge role in supporting people with diabetes. They're, they're well trained um, in uh, supporting emotional health, motivation, uh, self-confidence, relationships, all of those things that can be impacted by the reality of living with diabetes. Um, uh, psychologists can support people in making positive changes to mood, to well-being, the way people think and feel about their diabetes, the way people think and feel about themselves in relation to their diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, and many people can feel reluctant or worried about the idea of talking to a psychologist. Um, and a lot of that is because of um, 
you know, underlying societal beliefs about what it means to talk to a psychologist. Um, but uh, I, I think, um, especially now, you know, one of the silver linings of um, the uh, lockdown that we're in right now is the increased awareness of the availability of psychological support for people and the increased funding. Um, and, and I think as awareness grows, um, uh, it will become more and more apparent that seeing a psychologist or talking to a psychologist isn't just for when emotional health problems are serious. It can also be a way of um, uh, checking in to prevent emotional health problems from becoming serious. Um, it's not a sign of weakness. Mm. I think as well, um, you know, we talked about stigma earlier on. And yeah. You, you, you did touch on the, the underlying societal beliefs of, of seeing a psychologist. And, um, you know, the, I think it's, look, I, I, I think we're certainly improving in this space. But I, I think you're right. There's still, um, I suppose, a strongly held belief that, um, you know, the, the old school, oh, it's, it's weak to see a psychologist or there's something wrong with you if you see a psychologist. And um, it's, you know, it's not a good thing. But, um, I mean, my experience personally, I go mm. back to when I was playing AFL football all those years ago, and I'm lucky enough that I was, um, I've never touched wood, had issues with mental health. Mm. And, and I, I fingers crossed, hope it stays that way. But once mm. I was playing football, I, I would still speak to a sports psychologist at times just to chat about things. And it certainly didn't mean that. You know, I was, uh, you know, there was, there, I have issues or there's something wrong with me or I'm weak. It's just a good outlet. It's good to get a different point of view and, and chat through things with people who are trained in these kinds of things. And I think we, look, I, there's been a lot of great work done to remove the stigma around seeing psychologists cheaper, but I, I think there's still probably a little bit more that we can do as a society to, to remove those kinds of things. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And I can speak firsthand of, of how helpful I've found it over my journey. Yeah, yeah it was actually incredible, uh, you know, during the week that um, uh, sometimes um, the barriers to seeing or talking to a psychologist can be a, a bit um, higher for people, for, for men and um uh, also for older people where some of the, um, I guess, pressures, the spinal pressures can be a bit more prevalent. Um, so during National Diabetes Week, it was really amazing to see so many um, uh, guys come forward and take up the service and so many older people come up and take up the opportunity to talk to, talk to me um, and, and just carry it out. Um, and I think that was thanks to the way Diabetes Australia framed it as just, you know, here's just a one-off opportunity to test it out, to see if talking to a psychologist is for you. Um, yes. And I think the more we give people these opportunities, the more we normalize it, the more people get that it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's just as important to look after your emotional health as it is physical health. Oh, I completely agree. Completely agree. You, you spoke about that earlier. How how they can you know particularly for those with living with diabetes, but anyone, how closely they are linked to each other, and and that's I think yeah. how we need to see it. That looking after your mental health and, and seeing a psychologist is no different than uh, you know if you've got an issue with your feet, you go to a podiatrist and, and things like that. Yeah. It's, it's the exact 
same thing. I, I could talk to you all day on, on things like this, and I have a you know ask a million questions. Um, it's obviously something you're passionate about, and it's, it's great to hear that come across. We are running out of time, so just sort of quickly and, and to finish up, um, I guess as a, as a a final point of call or, or a final mm-hmm. or way to finish. How, firstly, any tips for people living with diabetes to help get them through COVID in terms of their mental health? And, and we're mm-hmm. talking, you know, obviously, Melbourne, hopefully things will be lifted, but, you know, we've, yeah. we've heard in the media a lot about having to live a new COVID normal. And, and then yeah. on that note as well, while you're talking about people living with diabetes, Anything for uh, those affected by it, whether they be carers, friends, family, colleagues, bosses, teachers, etc. Any of those people in, in that. Um, anything for them to how they can help ease the mental burden um, for people living with diabetes. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the COVID, uh, dealing with the COVID pandemic, um, I, I think um, first of all. Uh, the, the biggest tip I can give is to sort of be aware of um, what you can control and what you can't. Uh, it's completely normal to feel the stress and uncertainty that the situation that we're in would bring. Um, and it, it's, it's okay to feel uh, a little weary, a little bit worried about things. Um, but it can be really useful to, uh, as a practice, to uh, uh, focus more on things that are within our control than those which are inherently unpredictable and inherently uncertain. So, for example, focusing on serious statistics in the media or focusing on what if, what if I catch COVID, what if my friend catches COVID can be really unhelpful and it more productive to focus on things that you can have some control over. So keeping up to date with credible information, taking breaks from the media when you need it, knowing what to do if you get sick, having a sick day fun, making sure that you're close, you know, physically distant but not socially isolated, um, being proactive about talking online with friends and family. Uh, and being open with them if if you need a bit more time off before you um, uh, start socializing or cease um, yes. physical distancing and and in terms of what friends family and other other people can do is is be mindful that people with diabetes might need a bit longer to um, before they start socializing before they end physical distancing, um, giving them an opportunity to talk about their experience if they need to, but also giving them space to not talk about it all the time. Um, yeah, so, so being there but yeah. not pushy almost, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And, and it can be a tricky thing um, to manage, sort of making yourself available without um, making bids for information or, or you know, especially for family um, members without um, inadvertently coming across as naggy um, yeah. or, or judgmental. So it, uh, open communication is really the key to getting that balance right. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, to, to be encouraging without being um, cycling. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Just quickly, I suppose all that. Those are those are some great points for both. You know, those that's living with diabetes and, and those of us affected by it. Um, yeah. Is there somewhere we can go? Is you know, the a, um, the the ACBRD website? Is there like a little a yeah. tip sheet to this, or, or a you know a little, yeah. um, frequently asked questions or something like that? Yeah. Um, so ACBRD has been partnering with NDSS for quite some time in developing resources for people with diabetes, for uh, friends and family, for health professionals. Um, so there's two places that people can go to. First of all, the NDSS website. There's um, a, a sort of a, a web page on NDSS that list all the resources, there's leaflets, there's information, there's advice on a whole range of topics, including emotional health topics. There's two new leaflets that I was involved in developing about when and how people with diabetes can seek support from a psychologist. Um, but there's also a fact sheet that my colleague, uh, Crystal Hendriak, developed uh, around managing worries around COVID. Um, so that's NDSS resources um, uh, on the ACBRD website. We also regularly publish news, blogs, um, other information that's targeted towards uh, the community. Um, so people are more than welcome to check out the blogs that we've written and we, we update this regularly. Uh, you can sign up to our newsletter as well to get updates on the work that we've been doing um, and the resources that we've been developing. Uh, absolutely. So, of course, um, yeah, checking in, checking with each other, but uh, obviously you'll be able to speak further with, with your healthcare team, your healthcare professionals, and, of course, the ACBRD website and, and Diabetes Victoria yeah. as well. Dr. Sheikha Gray, I, I really appreciate you taking your time out to chat with me all things diabetes, COVID, and mental health. As I said, I could talk to you for you know hours and hours on yeah. end and, and keep going, but uh, unfortunately, we have just about <laughs> ran out of time. Before I finish up, is there anything that you did want to leave as a sort of final message or a final calling point, or uh, do you think we've just about covered it all? Yeah, I think we've covered a lot. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. And I, I just, you know, as a last message, I think it's really important that people stay connected. You know, COVID-19 has really impacted people's um, uh, social lives. They're able to connect with friends and families, connect with health professionals. Um, so if, if there's one message that I hope um, people would get is that you know, so, uh, physically distant, but not socially isolated or socially disconnected. Absolutely, Sheikha. As I said, I really thank you for joining us. It's been great thank to you. get some insight um, to hear the, I suppose, the personal, um, you know, the real story, and then also, you know, the fact that you certainly have things covered from a, uh, a, a educational and, and you know PhD background as well. It's, it's been awesome. So once again, thank, thank you. you so stay well, stay safe throughout COVID, and. Uh, Hopefully we get to catch up uh, in person soon when we are allowed to. Yeah. Yeah, I look forward to that. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Sheikha Gray joining us on Living Well with Diabetes. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the program. If you'd like to contact us, it's very easy. Simply send an email to podcast at diabetesvic.org.au or, of course, all the information you'll need is on the website, diabetesvic.org.au. 
www.ecofm.org.au.